Thanks, Pastor Tom. My name is Carrie, and I'm on the elder team here and also the teaching team. And I am really excited about bringing you the message this morning. So about a week ago, I was at the funeral of a good friend's mom, who I've also known for a long time. Um, Eve was 88, and up until the time she was diagnosed with cancer, she was continuously serving God, um, sharing Jesus with people, just loving on people. She would um, cook for people. She would run errands for people. She would <clears throat> host people. And she would even, in her words, drive the elderly to their appointments. So uh, the picture that's on the screen is Eve in my kitchen with women from the Bridgeport Rescue Mission, and she was giving us a baking lesson. She would, um, she would bake all the goodies for our Bible study that met once a week at my house, and sometimes she would come and, and show us how to do it. Um, and she, there, she's 87 years old, so she was just an amazing woman, continually serving and sharing her life with other people. And when I was at the funeral, I was reminded of a question that was asked of me years ago, and it was this. When you get to the end of your life and take your last breath, what do you want your life to have been about? And with Eve, that was pretty clear. Um, what her life was about. She cared enough about people to serve them and share her life and her faith with them. And that ties us in very nicely. It's a great segue to our big idea for today, which is this. God calls us to care enough about the people around us to share the most important truth we know, which is Jesus. So, as you all know, we are still in the book of Acts, Acts 17, and today we're going to look at Paul and how he um, was an example to us about this very big idea that's, that's on the screen now. Um, but we're going to start um, just delving back into it by way of background. You'll remember that Paul is on his second missionary journey. He's just left Thessalonica and Berea, where rioting had broken out after he and Silas and Timothy had brought the truth of Jesus to the people there. Paul was sent on to Athens immediately to wait for his companions. Now, on this map, I think, number one, you'll see there's a whole lot of places that hopefully you recognize from the last few months of studying um, Paul's journey, but also... Um, you'll see that uh, Berea, where they were last, is really not that close to Athens. If they were able to jump in the car and have highways, it would be about a six-hour drive, and clearly they weren't driving. Um, so you can imagine that it took a long time for them to reconvene. So we're going to look at that scripture now that starts at Acts 1716. There's some highlights in there, and we're going to go back to see Paul's example through those highlights. So here we go. Uh, seven, Acts 1716. 
While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now, what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. So the very first line that we read says this, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed. And I think there's two important points to be made here. First of all, Paul's mind was always on the mission. It was constantly on his mind. He was not holed up somewhere in a Marriott in Athens waiting for his companions to come. He could have been just sitting back and taking a breather after his long trip and the rioting that was, he left behind with um, Timothy and Silas in Thessalonica and Beria. But instead, he went out and was in the marketplace. He was looking at the city. He was um, clearly thinking about his mission the whole entire time. And we need to be doing the same thing. Um, our mission, which is sharing our life and our lives and our faith with people, should always be on our minds and in our focus, whether we're at Stop and Shop or Big Y. I prefer Big Y, actually. But... Um, or at the dentist, I really don't prefer being at the dentist, um, in the neighborhood, wherever we are, we should be focused on our mission. Then secondly, it says he was greatly distressed. Now, this line is really convicting for me personally because I can't with an honest heart say that I am greatly distressed all the time for my neighbors and friends and family who don't know the full story about Jesus. I can say I'm distressed for my kids when they're in going through a painful situation or friends that are struggling, but to be truly distressed for people that know, don't know Jesus in the same way that Paul was, um, it's hard for me. So I'll tell you what I've tried doing recently. Um, to help me focus and to ask God to help me in this area. Um, 
there's a song I really like um, by Casting Crowns called Jesus, Friend of Sinners. And I try to pray this one lyric um, throughout the day, which is, break my heart for what breaks yours. Try it. it. It might work for you, too, if you have the same issue that I do. Um, but to continue on, Paul wasted no time but went right out to the people in the synagogues, both Jews and Greeks, and into the marketplace to reason with them, to use his intellect and his speaking and debating skills um, to introduce them to Jesus. Now, um, we know that Paul was a gifted orator and debater. He was from an educational center, Tarsus, and had years of training and knowledge to do this. It came naturally to him. He started out in the synagogue, as he often did, and also spoke to the interested Greek philosophers who spent their days, day after day, debating the latest ideas in the marketplace. Now, these philosophers possibly people pictured here, asked him to speak at the high court, the Areopagus, which was a very big deal. It met um, at the Acropolis, which you see there in the pictures, and you've probably seen lots of, of pictures. Um, years ago, I had the opportunity to go there with a college class, and it was truly, truly, truly awe-inspiring. Um, just to stand there and be told that we were standing where Paul stood when he spoke and to look down. And even today, when you look down the hill where this is, you can see that there are ancient ruins of buildings, statues, monuments. The idols are still there today. And at the time, you could just picture the people in the council or the court following Paul's gestures and seeing exactly what he was talking about as he compared the one true God to their false gods and idols. But Paul was a gifted orator, and he let the Holy Spirit guide his words. But lucky for us, God doesn't expect us to stand on the highest hill and preach and debate and speak the way Paul did, because there may be a few of us around that can do that, but I would say most of us would be very afraid. Luckily, though, um, God calls us to use our own gifts, our own passions, our temperaments, and our styles. We're not off the hook. We're, we still need to share with people, but um, we, we can do it in the style that fits us best. Now, um, I have a slide that um, shows the different sharing styles, a few of them. There's probably hundreds of them. But here's a few examples from the Bible um, and um, present day. First, there's Paul. Obviously, he was the intellectual. Peter was confrontational. If you remember, he was full of passion and energy, and he was often outspoken. His foot was often in his mouth. Um, Jesus had an interpersonal um, or conversational style, and we know that he used parables and stories to make things clear to people. The woman at the well, she was invitational. You might remember, she said, come and see this man who knows my history. And Mother Teresa, we, we all know, was um, 
serving was her style. Not only did she serve, but she also shared the truth through her serving. Now, I put Lee Strobel in there. Some of us were lucky enough here at Crossroads to hear him speak. Um, and for those of you that don't know the name, Lee was an atheist and a journalist for the Chicago Tribune who set out to disprove Christianity using scientific, historical, archaeological, and um, mathematical evidence. But instead, he found that the evidence was overwhelming and compelling that Christianity was true. It was based on fact. And he's shared his testimony all over the world. He's written many books. There's even a really good movie that came out a couple years ago based on his story. Um, if you want to check out the sermon notes, there's details for that there. So we're called to use our style. We don't need to follow Paul and be a great preacher. But you will notice, as we look back with Paul, that the first thing he did when he was before the court was establish common ground with his audience. He looked for connection. And as we've seen throughout Acts, he's very tuned in to his audience and adjusts his arguments accordingly, depending on who he's talking to. Here, he first took time to learn about the Greek culture, seeking to understand before making the connection and talking to them about the one true God. So though we might not stand on a hill to preach, we also need to find common ground with our friends and family um, who we want to reach out to. So I want to share something that I found health, helpful as we look at sharing our lives and our faith with those around us. And it's called Living 3D. And a man, a pastor and author named Gary Poole came up with this to begin with. Um, but the first D is to develop friendships, to engage in the lives of the people around us, our neighbors, our co-workers, our distant relatives, even the barista at our favorite coffee shop. Secondly, we need to discover stories. And this is important. Be a question asker. Ask people about their lives, their family, their children. People love to talk about their children, their roots, what excites them and what keeps them up at night. Um, and people like to share their story, and after you've spent some time getting to know them, they will probably want to know what makes you tick, too, and you will have a chance to share what matters most to you. But this is where your palms might be getting sweaty, and you're saying, oh, but it's so hard, even with friends, to share um, my faith. I mean, it's very personal. So um, I want to share something else with you that might be helpful, and I've called it the 45-second before and after story, and it's pretty simple. Um, you just need to think about who I was before meeting Christ and who I am now, or what my life was like before and what it's like since I met Christ. Um, oh, Thank you. Um, so here's some examples of the short form of that. Um, 
the ideal, ideally, it would be a 45-second story that you would share. But to make it easier to start with, start with just a sentence or a compound sentence. You know, I'm a former teacher. Anyway, um, like these. I was filled with fear. I was filled with fear. Now I am confident. I was in despair. Now I am hopeful. I was feeling guilty. Now I am set free. I was self-destructive. Now I am healthy. I was searching for meaning and purpose. Now my life makes sense. Those are just examples. There are thousands and thousands, well, I guess mathematically, probably a lot more than that that you could come up with. Um, but as you do that, you share from your heart what your life was like before and after. So once you've thought of that line, expand to about 100 or 120 words, write it down, and time yourself reading it. Start by making as simple as possible your story without a lot of detail. It may not be screenplay worthy. Mine is definitely not, but that doesn't matter because it's your story and people love to hear stories. So actually, it might help, too, if um, as you're thinking about it and writing it down, remember, 100, 120 words, um, think about a specific friend or neighbor or um, family member as you're writing. So on the, if we could have the last slide back again, the, the last one on there that says, I was searching for meaning and purpose, now my life makes sense, that's actually my line. That's the tiniest bit of my story. And what I did, because my good friend Leanne said, you should write yours out before you talk about writing them out. So this is for you, Leanne. Um, so I took the time. Really, it took me no more than 20 minutes to write out my before and after story. And I'm actually going to read it to you instead of telling it to you, as I probably would if I were talking to a friend or a neighbor, just so that you can see um, how easy it is to just write it out. So this is what I wrote. Before I knew Jesus, I questioned the meaning of life and my purpose in this world. I grew up in a church-going family, but it wasn't until I was 16 and sat down with my youth group leader that I finally understood that faith in Christ was so much more than keeping traditions and doing all the right things. I learned that it was a life-changing personal relationship that could give my life hope and purpose and direction and a sense of completeness that was lacking. From the moment I put my trust in Jesus, my life changed. I was still me, and it wasn't like all my problems vanished at all, but I had a whole new perspective. I had fresh purpose in my life and confidence, and finally, the world made sense to me. So that's it. That's my story. Nothing glamorous, but um, that's what I could share with someone especially since it's in my head now and I've written it down. Um, I challenge you to, to uh, do that too. But let's jump back for a minute to Gary Poole's three Ds. 
What happens after you have shared your before and after story? It's time to discern God's next steps by following the Holy Spirit's direction. I guarantee you this. When you ask him, he will answer. And hopefully it will lead you to going from telling your story to God's story for his plan of salvation for the people you're talking to. And I promise he will give you the words. So in the verses that follow what we read earlier in Acts 17, Paul continued to let the Holy Spirit lead and speak through him as he preached to the people of Athens. He carefully explained the differences between one true God and theirs, and he followed through with the whole truth. He did not shy away from talking about the need for repentance, or, and he was sure to share about Christ's resurrection as he presented God's truth to them. And the scripture says in um, Acts 17, verse 32, that many were hungry for more information. They said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And some men and women became followers and believed. And again, I feel like I've made a lot of, I've used the word guarantee a lot recently in the last couple minutes, but... If you listen to the Holy Spirit, discern his steps after you've shared your story, I would bet that they, the person you're talking to will want to know more. Um, and as you listen to his lead, he will guide you. Last week, Pastor Tom talked about this verse, and it bears repeating here. It's Romans 10, 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to my words or sharing with them? So God says it's our job to speak up, but that's a tough challenge. We know it is. Um, luckily, though, God doesn't give us a challenge without a promise. So another verse that Pastor Tom mentioned recently, Luke 12, 12, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say at the moment you need them. So... To wrap this up, we need to ask if God is, in fact, calling us to care enough for the people around us that we share the most important truth we know, what are we going to do about it? So I want to suggest um, three things. First off, ask those questions that Pastor Tom challenged us with in the last two weeks. When was the last time I shared Jesus with someone? And when is the next time I will be able to share Jesus with someone? Secondly, pray to be distressed for those who don't know Jesus and that the Holy Spirit will direct you. And finally, please do this, please try it, Write down your 45-second before and after story. 
Now I wanna give you a little head start right now with your before and after line because it really starts there. In just a moment, I'm going to end this message with a prayer and then the band is gonna lead us in a great song fittingly called My Story. As the band is playing, please think about your before and after line and please, please put it in the chat box. Um, I guarantee that doing that is going to encourage others. Let's pray. God, help us to follow Paul's example with our sharing styles and passions. Help us to care enough about the people around us to talk to them about our faith stories and God's story. And God, remind us to pray that our hearts would be broken for what breaks yours. Amen.